Hello and welcome to the Fire and Bones Podcast. We welcome you to our time in the Word together today. I invite you to take your Bibles and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31, through the end of the chapter, we want to talk today for just a few minutes about unity through diversity. Unity through diversity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. The Word of God reads this way. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same parts, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with great honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to see the beauty of unity through the diversity that you have placed within your body, the body of Christ, the church. Father, guide us, direct us, speak to us. Open our ears so that we might hear wondrous things out of your law today in jesus name amen dear brothers and sisters i don't think i have to tell you we live in a time of great disunity here in these united states of america never before perhaps in the history of this country has then there been a greater sense of of division and of strife and of angst against one group against another And indeed, today it seems as if it's not just a matter of disagreement, but it is a matter of 
vitriol, dis, distaste, and 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 even anger and hatred towards those whom with whom we do not agree. Uh, we live in a day today where it's not uh, the disunity has and the dysfunction has has progressed to such a point where it's not just a matter of a difference of opinion between peoples or political parties or racial and ethnic groups. It is that if you disagree with me or if you are different from me, then you must hate me because I'm different from you or I disagree with you. We live in a world that is rife with disunity. And so it is incredibly important, even more important today than it has ever been in the history of the church in America, at least, that the church not just portrays, but genuinely projects and lives out unity in front of a dysfunctional world. The Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 12 writes to the believers at Corinth to remind them of the basic elemental principles of what makes them a unified body. The characteristics that God has built into the structural DNA of the church to cause us to function and live in unity. It is unfortunate that oftentimes the place where disunity is most readily visible is within the church. It is incredibly frustrating as someone who loves the church and loves the body of Christ to see it filled with such division in my 18 years as a minister of the gospel and pastor of churches some of the most dysfunctional groups that I have ever seen not necessarily pastored but that I have seen have been church groups committees um business meetings it is incredibly unfortunate i uh, had a ministry experience early on in my ministry where one of the key components to my ministry time there being over was a uh, sharp disagreement in the church over who was going to be allowed to attend and who wasn't based upon the color of their skin irregardless of their common brotherhood and sisterhood in Jesus, irregardless of the fact that one might have been a lost person in desperate need of the gospel, if they didn't look like us, then they weren't going to be allowed with us. It is a time where we desperately need to display unity that God has built into the body through its structural DNA and live out the diversity, the glorious diversity that is there this is true whether it's political lines we just patched through an election season and and never has the political landscape in these united states been more sharply divided that's true whether it's uh, racial division Um, i believe it was martin luther king jr said the Most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and sadly that is probably still the case. It is true whether it is uh, socioeconomic divisions that 
uh, rife and prevalent in our culture. I talked to a pastor one day in a town in Arkansas that will not be named who told me his problem was uh, in his church was that his folks accepted or rejected people not based on the color of skin their skin but on how much money they made or didn't make or what their status or standing in the community was or wasn't folks God never intended for his church to function in that way and Paul was dealing with some of these same issues as he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's see what God has to say about this unity that we are to display through the diversity that God has built into his church. The first thing we have to remember if we look in verses 12 through 14 is we have to remember the personhood of the body. I think this is incredibly key to highlight and to feature at the get-go. Listen to what Paul says in verse 12. For just as the body is one in as many parts, and all the parts are of that body, though many are though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Paul makes the argument, the, the, the foundational principle argument here in verses 12 through 14, that the church ought to be unified in its diversity, first and foremost, because the church is the body of Christ. He, he spells it out again quite specifically a little bit later on in this same text in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. We approach church oftentimes like it is some sort of civic organization, like it is some uh, organization built for cultural good or influence. But I am here to tell you today, friend, the church exists because it is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told in verses 12 through 14, not only are we baptized into Christ, we're also baptized into one spirit, the, the, the personhood of the body. We are not representatives of ourselves as the church we have the great honor and the great privilege of representing the lord jesus christ to a lost and a dying and a dysfunctional and a divided world but christ is never divided do you do you understand why paul makes it the first element of his argument here why the church ought to display unity is because it, it is directly tied to the not just tied to but it displays it is putting on for show for the rest of the world the personhood of jesus christ and the activity of the holy spirit on the earth we preachers are bad about this but church members do it too we talk about a church is my church or uh, the church I lead or the church I pastor. Uh, you know, my church does this on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights, or you ought to come be a part of my church because this is what's happening and this is what God is doing. I've got a newsflash for you. It's not my church. It's not your church. It is his church. It is by definition his body. And therefore, for it to display disunity or dysfunction in any kind is a horrible witness to what the reality of the church is supposed to be. It is him. So, in verses 12 through 14, 
as it relates to the personhood of the body, Paul talks about uh, two things. First of all, the power behind it. He references Christ in verse 12. He says, um, though many are one body, so also is Christ. And then he says in verse 13, we are all baptized by one spirit into the body. Uh, The power behind the unity of the church is the reality of the one for whom it exists and the one whom is at work in the midst of her. And that is the person of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. The church has no power. The church has no influence. The church has no eternal significance. If it is just a cultural organization, if it is just a group of people that get to get like-minded people, they get together and hang out on Sunday mornings for a little while. It only has power. It only has eternal influence and significance if it is the body of Christ and if the Holy Spirit of God is at work within her. We operate so often in our churches absent of the presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, how this has grieved me as a pastor over the years to recognize and realize that we're not doing anything or accomplish anything, accomplishing anything that could not be accomplished without Christ or without the Holy Spirit. What are you doing? What is your church doing that directly and significantly and and even i would say solely depends upon the presence of christ and the power of the holy spirit in your church a lot of churches do what we can do apart from the power and the the presence of christ and the power of the spirit we meet for sunday school we meet for 11 a.m worship we sometimes come back for sunday night or wednesday night we go home we check our religious box of religious duties for the week and that's it nothing that is dependent upon the miraculous person of christ and the miraculous power of the holy spirit and as a result of that we are a awful witness to the unity and diversity that god intends for there to be in his church speaks to the power of the body of Christ, but then secondly, he speaks to the unity that he intends to be there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. If you don't, uh, I will quote it for you now. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 says, In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There is power that comes through recognizing As a member of the body of Christ, I am not just joined to Christ, although that is most significant. What Paul says in Romans 12, he reiterates here in 1 Corinthians 12, is that not only as a believer am I connected directly to Jesus and the church is about him, I'm a part of his body, but as a result, I am connected with each other, individual members of of the same body that I'm a part of. And and as we are told in Scripture, a threefold threefold strand is not easily broken. There is power that comes when we recognize the unity that we have, firstly with Christ, but secondly as independent yet functioning and connected, eternally connected members 
of the body of Jesus. It means that I don't go through anything in my life alone. I shouldn't attempt any task alone. I shouldn't wage any spiritual battle alone. I shouldn't go uh, to any kingdom endeavor alone. I go with a band of brothers and sisters that are also connected with the power of the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit, and we walk in concert together into whatever we do. Oh, that the church in America looked like that. Oh, that we lived the Christian life in community and not isolation. Oh, that you had a band of brothers and sisters you can lock arm with and assail the gates of hell itself. Because you recognize, yes, as a member of the body of Christ of the church, I am connected firstly to Christ, but as a result of that, I am connected individually and eternally with my brothers and sisters. The person of the body, firstly. Secondly, the performance of the body. Paul gives a uh, hypothetical scenario. Uh, this is one of those things that I think Paul is, is doing. It's a hypothetical scenario, but that's not really hypothetical. Right? Like, he's saying, for instance, let's say this happened. And when the people at Corinth would have had this read to them or read this for themselves, they'd be like, oh, he's talking about me. Uh, whoops. It's one of those non-hypothetical Hypothetical. He knows what's going on, so he puts it in exactly the terms that he knows they're talking about. So when they read it, they go, ooh, that's me. Whoops. I've messed up. First, let's, he, he gives this argument in a negative connotation. Let's look at, uh, he, he is essentially is telling the church how to function by telling them not how to function. And, and it's intriguing to me. In verse 15, he gives this scenario. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. Let's stop right here for just a minute. And Paul is proposing, first of all, that there might be a case in which a child of God might deny his role in the body. That in the church, this thing that's supposed to be this glorious picture of unity through diversity and power of the Holy Spirit, that, that there might be a case in which somebody might deny their role. An eye might say, I'm not an eye. Well, it doesn't make it not an eye. I could walk around the house all day today proclaiming that I am an elephant. It doesn't change the fact that I am a human being. You could proclaim yourself to be a pickup truck, but you're not a pickup truck. You are what you are. You are what you have been created to be. But there are times, it seems, in our churches where people want to deny what God has created them to be. Maybe they desire a more glamorous position. Maybe it is that they are tired of the role that in which uh, they have been serving. Maybe it is that they are jealous of somebody that seems to get more accolades and more praise and acclaim than they do. But, but, but they begin to deny the very nature of who God has created them to be and the role in which they are to function in the body. So when that happens, they are denying two things. First of all, they're denying their responsibility. 
They have a job that nobody else can do in the body but them. And hear me, brother or sister, you have a task. You have been equipped and gifted by God to do a job in the church that nobody else can do but you. You are an eye and nobody else can see but you. Or you're an ear and nobody else can hear but you. Or you're a finger and nobody else can, or a hand and nobody else can pick up but you or you're a feet and no one else can carry the body but you so for you to stand there and say i am not what god clearly has made you to be it is a denial of your responsibility firstly to christ as we talked about in a minute ago but also secondly to your other body members you you are shirking your divine responsibility here is the travesty that i see today is that most folks don't have any clue what part of the body they are let me just give you a word of encouragement, if I could. Find the way God has gifted you, what you're good at, what makes you tick, and then find a way to use it in the church for the glory of God. And chances are that is how God has made you to fit and be a part in the body. If the eye says, I don't want to be an eye anymore, if, if the usher says, I don't want to usher anymore, if the children's ministry workers say i don't want to do children's ministry more i want to do something else and if they check out they are denying their responsibility but also they are missing their destiny listen the bible tells us in ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 you're quite familiar with this passage i think that the bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith not of ourselves the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast but then verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What Paul is saying is not only did God save you by his grace through faith in Jesus, but God has created you and he's crafted you and he's put you in the body to accomplish a destiny, a service, a, 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 an eternal task that only you only you are uniquely equip, equipped and gifted to fill and to function in your church. So if you wake up one day, like many seem to be tempted to do these days, and say, well, I'm not an eye. I'm not going to do my job. I'm not an ear. I don't want to be an ear anymore. You're not only shirking your responsibility to the Christ and to your brothers and sisters, but you are missing the most perfect plan that God has for you. Call it destiny. Call it a, a hope and a future like Jeremiah says. But God has something planned for you that you will miss out on if you are not plugged in, fulfilling your role as a part of the body of Christ. So here's what happens. Paul says, first of all, sometimes members of the body choose to deny who they've been created to be. But when that happens, then secondly, there comes a refusal after denial comes dropout. After you quit functioning in the way that God created you to function and serving in his church, then you will drop out, flunk out of God's school. This is an amazing phenomenon to me. There seems to be this growing sentiment in the church in America today that you can be a Christian and not go to church. I can be a believer and watch Chuck Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah or 
heaven forbid, somebody like Joel Joel Osteen or Joyce Meyer from the couch on Sundays, and I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That is the biggest load of hogwash that the devil has ever fed you. The New Testament does not know a Christian that is not connected and involved in serving in the local church. I can worship Jesus from my deer stand. I'm sure you can. I've done it on Mondays, Saturdays, Wednesdays, Fridays. But dear brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. There is no replacing being amongst God's people and with in his house in and serving in and faithfully through the local church. Hear me. Please hear me. I'm I'm not being a legalistic uh, dictator on this. I recognize that there are a lot of people who are incredibly faithful to their church and serving it year in and year out and month in and month out. And you take a vacation and you go on a trip and you miss a Sunday. I get that. I've done that with my family. There have been times where we missed that. But I'm talking about on a regular basis. If you deny your role, you're not plugged in and serving in the way that God would have you to in the body, in the church, very soon will come drop out because you're not plugged in. There's not community. There's not accountability. And before you know it, one Miss Sunday turns into two Miss Sundays. It turns into three Miss Sundays and turns into four or five. And you turn around and you wonder, how did I get here? It's because you quit serving Jesus in the body as he intended for you to. Last thing we want to talk about in First Corinthians 12 before we finish today is not only the personhood of the body, that is Christ and the Holy Spirit. We want to talk about the performance of the body. You cannot deny who God has created you to be and how he's created you to serve. But then lastly, the provision of uh, for the body, beginning in verse 26. God intends for the church to be this glorious display of unity and diversity and power and strength. And so he has provided for it what it needs to be so. Beginning in verse 26, it says, So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you an even better way. I want for you to listen. God says, I want my church to be unified. It is going to be diverse. And so here I'm going to give a diverse set of gifts to these this diverse set of people so they might be what I've called them to be. First thing you need to recognize is God is the one who is the originator of the gifts. It is according to the Father's plan and purpose that he dishes out these gifts. I believe with all of my heart, every single child of God has been redeemed by the blood of the Jesus, by the blood of Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, has at least one set of gifts that he's equipped you with to serve him. He might give more gifts to one person, multiple gifts. He might give a singular gift to somebody, but... But he gives every one of his children a gift so they might serve him in and through 
the church. To neglect these gifts is to neglect the good graciousness of your Father who knows and wants what's best for you. God knows what is best for His church more than you do, more than I do, more than any deacon does. God knows what is best for His church. I've had people come to me during the course and time of my pastor and say, well, I think I know what is best for our church. Well, that's all well and good, but last I checked, you weren't God. And God has uniquely equipped and provided these this gifting for the church, the originator of the gifts. Secondly, the obsession with the gifts. The, the church at Corinth had made the mistake that, quite frankly, many of us make, they had obsessed over and highlighted the gifts that seemed to garner the most public attention and publicity. They wanted the gifts that would make everybody stand in ooh and awe and marvel at their spirituality. So they thought. They wanted to gift the tongues of healings of miraculous signs and wonders. I mean, good night, even in the first century, that would get you a TV show. Benny Hinn wasn't the first one to come up with or contrive a manipulative ring to get attention or financial gain. The church at Corinth had these folks in the first century, and we still have them today. People that will not serve unless they can serve in the most public, influential way. I had a pastor who was detailing his intern program at his church for me. They would have college students come in and and served during the summer months as interns at this rather large church. And they will all come in on their first day of internship ready to lead a Bible study or ready to uh, go to camp with kids or ready to do whatever. And as they come into the room, they see that there's a bunch of buckets and sponges and cleaning supplies. And their first job as interns at that church that summer is to go clean every toilet in the, sink, in the, in the church house. How marvelous is that? If you're not willing to serve in the menial, hidden, insignificant, sometimes nasty, filthy ministry ways that are there, you're not fit to serve in places of prominence, in places in front of folks, in places where there's a claim and there's praise. The Corinthians got obsessed with these signed gifts. And Paul says, listen, first of all, the most important gifts are not the miraculous gifts anyway. He's going to detail that further in the next chapter, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, but he, he does it here as well. He says prophets, apostles, teachers, all of the first three gifts of the, of the gifts that he mentions here are gifts of teaching and administering and preaching the word of God to the church. The, the essential thing is the word of God, not the miraculous signs and wonders that, that the Corinthians so greatly craved. But look and consider lastly, if you will, this morning, the application of the gifts. In Ephesians 4, we have a similar passage to this one where it talks about how that all the gifts that God gives the church are for the edification of the saints. The equipment, equip, equipping for ministry and the edification of the saints. And, and Paul 
hints at this in verse 31, but desire the greater gifts. And we know from 1 Corinthians 13 that it's going to be faith, hope, and love, the greatest of which is love. These great gifts that God has given the church are for her edification and for the evangelism of the lost. It's so that the church would be built up by lost men, women, boys, and girls coming to Jesus. Here's my question for you today. If you're a part of the church, if you've been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus and baptized, and whether it's a church in Arkansas or Istanbul or Russia or Wyoming or Seattle or wherever you may be, If it meant more men, women, boys, and girls coming to Jesus through you scrubbing toilets than you standing up in places of prominence and leading groups and ministries, would you be more eager to scrub the toilets or you would you be willing to let those go by so that you have your day in the sun? That's essentially what Paul is Making the argument here, he does that throughout the passage. Are you obsessed with the gifts that garner praise and glory and adoration for you? Because I got news for you. We started out at the very beginning of this text. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's not about what personal acclaim I can receive through this. It's all about the person of Christ and the power of of the Holy Spirit. And if every single child of God that's a part of the body of Christ will live and function under those realities, there will be a unity in diversity that is on display that the world will marvel at. That the world will have to run to us and say, how are you doing this? And we'll have the joy of simply pointing him to Jesus and saying it's all about him. Father, thank you for this time in your word today. Thank you that the church, your body, is indeed all about Jesus. Lord, as we are knit together as brothers and sisters, we recognize we are knit together to and in you. Lord, that we are to be a display and a representation of you to the world and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that if there's someone here that's been wrestling with not being satisfied or content with the way you've gifted or called them to serve in your body, then the Lord help them to see their responsibility to their brothers and sisters and the fact that, Lord, they can't be what you want for them to be until they are serving as you want for them to serve in the body. Lord, lastly, I'm so grateful that in your infinite wisdom, you gave all this multiplicity of gifts and personalities and people to the church. And Lord, when it's functioning together in harmony and unity, it is a magnificent display of your grace and your redemptive design uh, for the world. So Father, help us to be that as we live to honor and glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.